found in Acts 25, 1 through 12. I'll be reading today from the NIV. Hear the word of the Lord. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priest and the Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented charges against Paul. They requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing to ambush, ambush to kill him along the way. Festus answered, Paul is being held in Caesarea, and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me, and if the man has done anything wrong, they can press charges against him there. After spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. The next day he convened the court in order that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there of these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have, done, I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you will go. This be the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Michael, for reading for us this morning. And music team, Dana, thank you as always for leading us wonderful hymns of praise and right on target with our theme this morning, too, as you'll see in a few minutes. I'm Pastor Jeff Gangle. I kind of feel like I need to reintroduce myself since Beth and I have been gone the last two Sundays. We've missed you. Glad to be home. Glad to be back. We were visiting family, two different trips. And, uh, but back home in between on the, our first Wednesday. And so, as I said before, if, if you haven't come on a Wednesday night, I encourage you to check that out, especially this week. If you want to hear more from the Vincents and interact with them, uh, that will be right after our dinner Wednesday night. But again, please make your reservations if you plan to come on Wednesday night. We also started two weeks ago a Lent study. Uh, Jason and I are leading, and so um, we just had really good interaction with that, that group uh, last Wednesday night. So uh, that's one that you can just jump in. If you're you know, not in a men's group or a women's group that's con been connected and through a study, this is a study through Lent right up until Easter that is wide open. So just come and jump into that study. Um, but this week, come to hear Michael and Karen right after the dinner. Um, I also want to make sure we're, uh, you are praying for Pastor Jason. Uh, for those of you that don't know, he had back surgery a week and a half ago and is uh, still recovering from that and will be for a little while home 
kind of bed-bound until that uh, things kind of settle in in his back. So be praying for Pastor Jason as he recovers and pray that that recovery will be full and he'll be pain-free when, when it uh, all wraps up. So would you pause with me? Let's pray for just a moment as we go into God's Word. Lord, we thank you for this time together to, to this morning and we thank you that for, for the ways you've already been working in our hearts, stirring our hearts for this, the ministry in Honduras of Casa de Abbey and for those precious girls whose lives are being rescued there. For your word and, and for your, your power that we've been singing about, that you are the victor, that you have won the victory at the cross and just those, the proclamation of the gospel that we've sung this morning already just to be, we need that on a regular basis, Lord, to, to come together in our voices and proclaim what we know to be true from your word and about you and about our salvation. And so, Lord, thank you for that opportunity to do that today. Thank you for lifting our spirits and encouraging us in that way. And now, Lord, as we come to your word, we ask the same. Ask that you will continue to, to motivate us and encourage us and teach us. And I pray that you'd guard my words, help me to rightly, accurately, as, just as the spokesperson this morning to speak what you want said and that we would be dependent on, as we always are, the power of your Spirit to at work in our hearts and help us apply and put to practice these truths. And, and then, Lord, to take your living word and let it live out through us. That's our prayer this morning. And I pray that you would be glorified in all that we say and do. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. I'm going to ask you this morning just to imagine as if you were Paul. Just, you've heard the first verses of our passage, and just to imagine that you're in Paul's place. You're walking in his sandals. You're, you've got his robe on. You've got his chains on right now because he's in prison in Caesarea. And maybe, you know, we know Paul had a little trouble with his vision, so if you just want to squint a little bit, you know, get the sense of Paul's, Paul's view of things. But imagine yourself being Paul for a moment. You've been called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And it was a dramatic call on the road to Damascus. No forgetting that. And yet, though you've had that call, you've been stuck in a Roman jail in Caesarea ever since your arrest in Jerusalem. You can't go on your missionary journeys anymore. You can't freely preach the gospel like you were before. You can't train and disciple people like you were doing before. And this has been the case for you now for two years you've been stuck in this. Do you feel the weight of that? The former Roman governor, Felix, found you innocent of charges, but still you're in jail. So now it's A.D. 60, and there's a new top dog in town, a new Roman governor by the name of Festus. I don't know where they come up with these names, Felix and Festus, but he's the guy now. He's the Roman governor, and he has a little better reputation and character than Felix did, but he's still Roman. You're thinking, maybe this guy will hear your case. Maybe he will also agree that you're innocent and release you finally. Maybe those Jewish leaders in Jerusalem that tried to kill you along the way and have brought all these charges against you, it's been two years. Maybe they've forgotten. Maybe they won't show up for the trial. But as it turns out, they haven't forgotten at all. In fact, they have another plot afoot, just like when you traveled from Jerusalem to Caesarea and they had a plot to kill you. Now they want to get you back to Jerusalem, traveling again so they can 
take care of you on the road. Thankfully, Festus is curious about your case. He wants to hear it, and he wants to stay on his own home turf there in Caesarea since he's the new guy. And so he asks you to state your case. But the Jews come out in force again. They didn't forget. They're there. They come to Caesarea. They bring all those unsubstantiated charges against you again. So what are you going to do? You can stand and proclaim your innocence, but you're still at the mercy of this new Roman governor. And then exactly what you feared might happen, happens. Festus plays the role of the politician the politician that he is, and he wants to please the leaders of his new subjects in, in this area, in Judea. And so he asks you if you'd be willing to make the trek to Jerusalem and stand trial there because he knows that's what the Jewish leaders want. Now, you know in your heart this is a bad idea. Even if you make the trek to Jerusalem in one piece, you're going to be outnumbered a thousand to one of people against you. So what do you do? You appeal to Caesar. And that's where we left it at the end of that passage that that, uh, Michael just read for us. And I'd like you to turn, please, to Acts chapter 25. If you have your Bible along, and I hope you do, or a phone, device, whatever you've got, or if you need a Bible under one of the chairs around you, grab that. Acts 25. What happens next? I want to just summarize a little bit of the rest of the story in this chapter for you, and then we'll come back to it and see some of the principles that are right here for us to learn together this morning. So Festus has made the decision. He's going to send Paul appealed. He's going to send him to Rome. To Rome you will go. But there were apparently no flights available right then, so he can't just put him on the next red eye to Rome. And so it's still delayed. And he's Paul's still there in Caesarea. But actually, maybe it's a good thing because the delay means that Paul is there when the Jewish king Agrippa and his sister Bernice arrive to pay their respects to the new governor. So that's the next thing that happens in our chapter. And because Paul is a Jew and his case seems to be about religious matters, Festus wants to get this Jewish king to tell him what he thinks, to get his take on the matter. And act, Because actually Festus was pretty baffled by these charges. Now remember, he's a Roman, he's just come in here, he doesn't know all the stuff that's been going on, he doesn't have any background for what Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 19 in our passage, Acts 25, 19. He's telling Agrippa what these, about these charges against Paul brought by the Jewish leaders. He says, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. Now I was at a loss how to investigate such matters. So you see the dilemma that, that Festus is in here, right? But in this case, now that he's said that, it catches the interests of King Agrippa. He wants to hear from Paul. Maybe Agrippa had heard about Jesus. He's in this line of of Herodian kings. And so he's maybe heard the stories about Jesus. Maybe he's heard about Paul. He's like, oh, this is pretty interesting. I'd like to hear him. Let's bring him in. I want a personal interview. And so the next day it happens. 
And our text goes on to describe this show that goes on. Now, you catch this a little bit, kind of get the sense of what's going on. King Agrippa and Bernice, they come in, they're royalty, so they come in with all their royal pomp and circumstance. Luke tells us that there were a lot of important people there. High-ranking military officials were there, prominent people from the city of Caesarea, and in the midst of all this crowd gathered in the court of Festus, Festus sins for the prisoner, for Paul. And once he's there, Festus makes his speech. I want to pick it up right there, verse 24. Festus says, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found he had done nothing deserving of death. But because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But I have nothing definite to write to his majesty about him. Therefore, I have brought him before all of you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that as a result of this investigation, I may have something to write. For I think it is unreasonable to send a prisoner on to Rome without specifying the charges against him. Yeah, that probably wouldn't work very well. Send him to Caesar without, I don't know what he's guilty of. No, he needs some charges. He needs to know what to say. But the charges against Paul, it's what becomes obvious here, is they were so bogus that even Festus doesn't even know what to write. What are we charging this guy of? I don't even know. Paul is under attack. That's what we come away with here. And I've chosen that as the title for the message today, Under Attack. Because Paul is in this situation, and it's clear the enemy is coming against him and against the gospel in numerous ways. And as we come to this passage this morning, I think what we can learn, I mean, next week we're going to see Paul's defense. We don't even get to that in chapter 25. So Paul's going to get his, his day in court, as it were. He's going to get to speak. Well, that'll be next week. But for this week, I think we can learn about the attack against Paul and how we experience similar kinds of spiritual attacks. I think we can learn from Paul's response to those attacks. What does he do about it? And we can see the hand of God through all of it. Start with the attacks. Number one, the inevitability. I almost wasn't going to put that word because it's so hard to say. Inevitability of the enemy's attacks. Nick talked about this a little bit last week in his message in chapter 24. Because we read these last chapters of Acts, and the story begins to sound like a broken record, right? Here's Paul again. He's being attacked again. He's being, the accusations are coming again. He's going to trial again. He's got to defend himself again and over and over and over. And we're not done yet. So this opposition from the Jewish leaders is not a surprise to us at this point, right? We know this is coming. No big surprise. But notice how Luke, the author, describes the charges in verse 7. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. And that, that's key here. These are serious charges. In other words, they wanted him dead. They wanted to find something worthy of death, but they had no proof for their charges. And in addition to that, the Roman governor here, Festus, he's confused about the charges. They're more religious than criminal, so he doesn't really know what to do with them. He allows the case to proceed because he's playing the political part and he wants to give favor to these Jewish leaders, kind of grease the skids for his rule now in this area. And so what we ultimately see is that Paul is on trial for his faith, for his witness not because of anything he did wrong. And that's important to grasp here. What's going on? This is a spiritual attack. This is against his faith and against his witness and his testimony. Now, and all these factors show us 
that it's the enemy who is attacking Paul. The enemy who wants to stop him, the enemy who wants the proclamation of the gospel to stop, our enemy, Satan. So the enemy works through these Jewish leaders. The enemy works through the Roman court system. The enemy even uses the governor's desire to find favor with his subjects. All of that Satan uses to try to keep Paul jailed and silent. Even though he'd done nothing wrong. And here's the lesson for us, I think, in this part of the passage this morning. It's, it's, see, it's possible to come under spiritual attack even when you've done nothing wrong. A lot of times we look for those correlations, and sometimes they're there. Sometimes we bring on trouble ourselves, right? By our own sin, by our own foolishness, we bring difficulties on ourselves. But as Christians, there are times when the enemy attacks simply because we belong to Christ. That's his whole work. And in fact, the more you live out your faith, the more likely it is that Satan will attack your faith. Because he doesn't want you to live out your faith. Now, the, the attack probably won't be as direct as Paul's. I mean, it's not likely you're going to be on trial. I don't know, maybe in the years to come that will happen eventually to us in this country. But right now, it's not that. It's not you're going to threats to your life. Not likely. But still, the enemy attacks. Those attacks are inevitable. I want you to see Peter's warning to us in 1 Peter 5 8. I put this on the, the email that went out this week about the message and bring it to you again. <clears throat> Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's a stark image, right? Try to picture that for just a moment. A roaring lion looking for someone to devour. When I was a kid, we would visit my grandparents, my mom's parents who lived in southwest Ohio. Once or twice a year, we would go to their house, and they had a picture, a painting, I'm not sure what it was, in the house, that I, fairly large, and, and that I, this is just vividly emblazoned on my mind, even from childhood. It was a picture of a, a lion cage, kind of like what you'd see in a zoo. And you see this, there's a young man who's um, coming up to the cage. He's got a gun in hand, but he's got a real disturbed look on his face as he looks into the cage. And in the cage is this lion and a young woman on the floor. And you assume dead. At the hands or the paw or the jaws of the lion. And it, this the sense you have by looking at the picture is this young man was rushing to her aid to rescue her, but he's too late. The lion has devoured her. Now, I have no idea why my grandparents had that picture in the house. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, that's a creepy picture, especially if you're a kid. So I don't understand that, but what I can tell you is that that image is there whenever I read that verse in 1 Peter 5. Think about our enemy, the roaring lion. I think of that picture. Now, why would Peter use such a vivid, frightening image? 
Because the enemy is invisible. And if we don't see how dangerous he is, how he prowls, how he attacks, if we don't understand that from some kind of illustration in our lives, then we will miss it and we will not be sober, we will not be alert, we won't be ready. Peter is telling us, watch out. Same way you'd watch yourself around a lion. Watch yourself around this enemy. What do those look like for us? As I said, probably not like it was for Paul. So what, in what ways does the enemy attack us? Well, I think most likely, most often, maybe daily, they come in the forms of temptation. Temptation to sin, to disobey God. That's what the enemy is doing that constantly, tempting us to sin. That's an attack from Satan. He also lies to us. The Bible calls him the deceiver. And so there are times when we get things in our head that are not in line with the truth of God's word. Those are lies from the enemy. That's an attack. The attack may come in the form of false guilt or self-hatred or the sense of self-sufficiency or pride. They come through feelings of discouragement, of despondency. Those are attacks of the enemy. Sometimes they even come by way of physical pain. We know that from the story of Job. Sometimes Satan can attack that way. Or circumstances, disastrous, difficult things in our lives. Sometimes those are attacks of the enemy. If you're seeking to live for Christ and do His work, expect to experience attacks from the enemy of Christ can't be a follower of Christ without becoming an enemy of the one who is the enemy of Christ. Now, it's wonderful to have Michael and Karen Vincent here, as I said, and to get the updates on their ministry, these precious abandoned and abused girls there in Honduras that they minister to. But Michael and Karen will be the first ones to tell you, and they were talking to me about it this week again when we met. They are daily seeing the effects of the enemy's attacks on these little girls. Sexual abuse may be one of his worst tools of all. They live with the effects of those attacks on these girls every single day. The enemy attacks. And he's no respecter of persons. If he will attack the youngest and most vulnerable, he will attack you too. Michael was, we were talking about this, and Michael said, John 10.10 has taken on new meaning in his life where Jesus talks about the enemy and says he's come to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. That's how Jesus described our enemy. And Michael says we see that, those effects in the lives of these little girls. We have an enemy. Expect him to attack. Expect him to accuse. Don't be surprised when it happens. But listen, don't lose heart either. And this is where the passage goes on. If we just saw Paul being attacked all the time, we would begin to think, oh, there's no winning this battle. But we've got to look at Paul. Look at his example. Here's our second point this morning. My response to the enemy's attacks. What do we do? How do we respond? Well, Paul gives us great examples. We've noted this already in the book of Acts, how to respond to unfair accusations how to respond to these spiritual challenges when falsely accused by the Jews in this passage, what does Paul do? 
He states his innocence. Verse 8, Then Paul made his defense, I have done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. He doesn't attack back. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't get all upset. But he also doesn't back away from his faith stand. He's not going to cower. He doesn't water down his message. We're going to see that next week. When you hear the words of Paul in Acts 26, you'll know he hasn't backed off at all from his testimony. These attacks of the enemy, these accusations... These threats to his life have not diminished his witness at all. He doesn't roll over and play dead. He stands up for his legal rights. He appeals to Caesar. And he trusts God. Now, some have suggested that Paul's appeal to Caesar here was a demonstration of a lack of faith. He didn't trust God to get him to Rome, so he had to try to figure out his own way and takes matters into his own hands. I don't think that's the case. I really don't, because it would make no sense, for one thing. The emperor, the Caesar at the time, was Nero. There's no way you would want to go there and trust him instead of trusting God. No, this is not, this is not a lack of faith. Remember, we've already seen that, Paul made a, that God made a promise to Paul that he would go to Rome. Don't fear for your life. You're going to go to Rome, and you're going to testify against me there. Paul has that promise. So he sees this as an open door, an opportunity from God to get to Rome quicker, to kind of avoid some of these delays that have been happening, get out of this local scene, and get on the way to Rome. And he appeals to Caesar. And we know Paul wasn't just trying to avoid personal difficulty or responsibility here. He's not just trying to get out of trouble Verse 11, he says, if, if I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. You know, that's been Paul's mindset all along. If, if you kill me, you kill me. But in the meantime, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to do what God's called me to do. He's not responding in fear to this attack. He's willing to die if that's God's will for him. And all of that is consistent with his life purpose and call that he knows Let me take you right back to Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I brought this up a number of times. I hope you're getting the idea. This is a key verse in the book of Acts. Acts 20, 24. It's Paul's Paul's testimony. He says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's it. He says, I'm going to stay on that. I'm going to stay on task. It doesn't matter what you throw at me, what attacks come from the enemy. This is my focus. And that's such a great lesson for us. Hear this. When you find yourself under attack from the enemy, don't surrender to the enemy. Instead, go back to your calling. Go back to your purpose. Go back to what God is doing in your life and who he's called you to be. That's where you land. That's where your protection is. Your surrender to God's will is what keeps you from surrendering surrendering to Satan's attacks. Let me give you an example of this. When our family moved from Houston, Texas to Toccoa, Georgia, Toccoa Falls College, and I started my ministry there as campus pastor, it was a hard move for us. Maybe I've given you bits and pieces of this before, but... um, when we made that move, it was really leaving Houston. That was the only home and community and church that our kids had known so far in their lives. It was a great environment for us there, wonderful church family there. 
We were moving out of that city to a small town, a place where we didn't know anybody. We were moving farther away from family and friends. If you've ever been through a move like that, you understand how hard that can be. And we got to Tekoa, and we're living in this little rented house right on the campus. All of our stuff just still kind of piled in boxes around us. And Beth was struggling. She'll tell you. It's one of the hardest times of her life, spiritually. She was crying almost every day. She was sad for what we'd left behind, didn't know what we were into there. And the Satan was attacking her with sorrow, discouragement. You know what got her through those times? And again, she would tell you this. Remembering that God had called us there. I know this is where God wants us. This is his purpose. This is his will. We're here for a reason. I don't know what it is yet. I don't understand it, and I don't like it. But I know this is where God has us. That's what enabled her. The surrender to God's will and that is what enabled her to respond to the attacks of the enemy in so many other ways, in emotional ways, and spiritual ways, because she knew why we were there. So she stuck it out. And in fact, we stayed there for 17 years in that ministry. This is it. This is what Paul shows us. When the attacks come, when the questions come, when the struggles come, remember who you are. Remember your calling. Remember God's plan and His purpose that's at work in your life. Respond to the enemy's attacks by surrendering to the will and the work of Christ. God is at work. Stay focused on Him. And that's the last part of our passage, too. It's this kind of a subtle theme. It throw, flows throughout this storyline in Acts 25. In fact, the whole book of Acts, we've seen it. It's obvious. The attacks against Paul are obvious. No missing those. Paul's defense, we can read that. But what's the hand of God? What is God doing through all of this? What does He do for us when we come under attack? Here's our last point this morning. God's hand in the enemy's attacks. You know, I've been impressed by the uh, boldness and the courage of President Zelensky in Ukraine in the midst of this conflict and this war. You know, at the beginning, when the invasion first began, he was offered safe passage out of the country if he wanted it. He said, no, I'm staying right here. I'm staying in the capital. I'm staying with my people. We're going to fight to the end. I don't know what that end will be. I don't know where it's headed, but he is staying there, not necessarily on the front line, but in the important position of where he can encourage his people, call them to defend themselves, call for help from other places. He stayed there. And when you look at Acts 25 and you see Paul's dilemma, if you only see what's happening in the main storyline with Paul, you'd say, God left the country. God abandoned him. He's been in jail for two years. Where is God? Why isn't God helping? Why isn't God doing anything? He, he hasn't been able to do his ministry. He hasn't been able to follow his calling. He's not preaching the gospel. God, where are you? Right? It looks like God has left. But I want to tell you, God wasn't gone. He didn't leave. He was right there in the midst of everything. He's working his plan. He's 
in arranging for Paul's defense and for his testimony to be given. I want to just show you one way. There's probably a number of ways in this passage that we could go to. I want to show you one thing this morning. God works through a newly appointed Roman governor. That's Festus. He works through this curious Jewish king named Agrippa to provide Paul with a powerful pulpit. And we're going to see what he does with that pulpit next week in chapter 26. But look again at verse 23 in our passage in chapter 25. Look at who's there. Not only the Roman governor, not only the Jewish king and his sister, but the passage tells us, Luke tells us, there are Romans and Jews in attendance. There are high-ranking military officials, prominent leaders from the city of Caesarea. They've all gathered in the courtroom of Festus, and they're all about to listen to this prisoner named Paul. Hmm. See, there's no way Paul could have arranged that himself. Paul couldn't have done that. Paul, out on the streets, even in the synagogues, would not have had this kind of audience for his testimony of the gospel. God provided that. God arranged that. And if it meant hanging around in Caesarea two years till we got to that, that was God's timing. God arranged this witnessing opportunity. He was in control of this the whole time can't miss that. You've got to see that in this passage. And understand that God's hand is at work in your life even when you feel like you're under attack. It doesn't mean God has left the country. He's there with you. Do you believe that God can use even your difficult circumstances to accomplish His will and His plan? Because that's what He's working on. Could it be that in the very moments when you think things are all going wrong that God is doing exactly what needs to be done in that time. You just don't see it yet. And did you know that God can use your trials to provide a platform for your testimony? That's what's happening with Paul. His very trials are going to provide an opportunity for his testimony. And you've seen that maybe in your life or the life of others where where the very difficult things, the hardest things you go through end up being the very way that you're able to then minister to others going through something too. Or that challenging situation puts you in a place where you can tell about the glory and the power of God. Last month I started a weekly Zoom group for six, that last, yeah, last month it was, started a weekly Zoom group for six of our missionary men. So every Tuesday morning, Early, I'm on Zoom with them in all different places around the world. It's wonderful. I love hearing what God is doing in them and in their ministries. But it's also sometimes frightening because some of them are living in much more difficult situations. Michael is in that group, so he knows this and hears some of these stories too. Two weeks ago, um, Pastor Slava, who's one of our missionaries here at Trinity as well, we support him in his church planting in Minsk, Belarus. Well, as you know, Belarus is right in the midst of this conflict. So let me just show you on a map here. Here's Russia. Here's Ukraine where the invasion is happening. Russia took troops into Belarus because the leadership there is pro-Russian. So they've provided the launching pad for these attacks into Ukraine. And right here in Minsk, that close to all this action, is one of our missionaries, Pastor Slava. We got on this call a couple weeks ago, and he was saying, the word is that they're going to start conscripting young men, 18 to 60, in Belarus and forcing them to go and fight this war on behalf of Russia. 
He said, men from my church are, are leaving the country, trying to get out before that happens. I don't know what to do. So we canceled everything else we were going to talk about that day, and we just spent our time praying for Pastor Slava and that tough decision in the midst of a crisis. By the end of that day, he decided, he and his wife, they're going to stay. Stay in Minsk, no matter what happens. Stay there for their church. Stay there for their people. Stay there to be a testimony in the middle of the trial. It's a right now living, modern-day example of exactly what happens with Paul. And that's why I'm calling us. I, I would love that we would pray. So we're praying for Casa de Abbey. We need to be praying for Pastor Slava and our missionaries who are in parts of the world that are under duress. And yet in the midst of that, crisis and war can be the greatest possible opportunity for the proclamation of the gospel and the grace of God to make a difference. This is what Paul wrote about in Romans 8.28. You know this verse, probably memorized it, maybe quoted it many times. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. This is Paul writing, right? This is the, Paul, the same Paul that we're talking about in Acts 25 who's under this attack, and he says, in all things, meaning even in, even in the attacks of the enemy, God is at work. He's working for the good of those who love Him, and He's working for those who've been called according to His purpose. That takes us right back to point two, right? His purpose in our lives, His plan for us. God is at work for our good, even when we're under attack, even when we can't see what he's doing, even when we may not understand his plan yet. God is at work. If the story of Paul in Acts 25 sounds familiar, maybe what you're thinking of is what happened to Jesus. He experienced something very similar himself. He was attacked and accused by the Jewish religious leaders. They wanted him dead, just like they wanted Paul dead. He was brought to trial, and when he was brought to trial, he was questioned by a Jewish governor, in his case, Pilate. He was questioned by the Jewish king, in his case, Herod. And like Paul, Jesus didn't fight back, but he also didn't give up. He didn't give in. He didn't fold up. In the end, God took his trial and turned it into a triumph. And his suffering led to our salvation. That was God's plan. When you find yourself under attack, remember that God is fighting for you in ways you cannot see. And if you're here this morning, you're not sure about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for you, as I just described, gave his life for you, for your salvation. If you're not sure about your relationship with him, just know that you're under attack and you don't have the resources to fend off those attacks because it's only found in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. I encourage you this morning to receive his gift of salvation and life. And with that comes his protection and his victory and it's yours in Christ. If you're a believer this morning, and maybe even right now, you're feeling some of those attacks of the enemy, know that Jesus Christ did battle for you on the cross and continues to do battle for you at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. He's with you in this. He has not abandoned you. He has not left the country. He's with you. 
I'm going to ask our team to come for our last song because this song really captures that truth. And I want you to hold on to that as we wrap up our service today. Here are some of the words of this first verse in case the song is unfamiliar to you. It says, When all I see is the battle, you see my victory. When all I see is the mountain, you see the mountain moved. As I walk through the shadow, your love surrounds me. There's nothing to fear now, for I am safe with you. The battle belongs to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is fighting for you. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this truth and this example that in the life of Paul we see that though he was under attack from all sides, you never left his side. You gave him the strength and the courage and the boldness to speak for you in the midst of those attacks. You helped him hold on to his purpose and his calling in you. He was willing to die for that. And Lord, you've shown us that even in those difficulties, you were working. You were working to get him to Rome. You were working to provide a platform for his testimony. You were accomplishing your work and your will. And Lord, I pray that we would see that, that you're the same God today as you were for Paul, and you do the same thing in our lives, that your protection is there, Lord Jesus. Thank you for winning the victory for us at the cross and for continuing to fight for us in our daily battles until we're in your presence. Lord, I pray that as we sing this last song, it would be the understanding and the reality of our hearts to know that the battle belongs to you. We can trust in you. We can lean on you. We can follow you no matter what the enemy throws at us. Thank you for that victory, our victory in Jesus. It's in whose name we pray. Amen.